other tone, 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 tone. In the past few weeks, folks have been writing into the show with their questions about the podcast. Today, we will reach into our mailbag to answer your questions. My name is Julian Roberts Atkinson, and I am the production assistant for Draytomaniacs. Joining me are executive producer Nolika Rathaway and senior producer Janicia Francis. And we are going to pull back the curtain and answer your questions. Not the curtain. Slow down now. Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. Little peak. You want to get a little peak. Don't get crazy. We we are going to give you we peak. are going to give you a little peek behind the curtain to answer your questions about Draptomaniacs and Unshackled History. So many folks want to know who the people are that work on this podcast. So this is a really great time to introduce yourself. So my name is Janicia. People know me as Jay from Tea with Queen and Jay podcast. I have been podcasting now for almost a decade. So I, of course, started with my own podcast as an independent podcaster and since then have been producing podcasts for other people. And I'm the senior producer on Draped on Maniacs Unshackled History, which has been really awesome. I've worked on some other cool projects. I know there are a lot of producers who want to be seen as people who can work on anything and do anything. And I can do that, but I am also really interested in telling Black stories, working on Black shit. That makes me happy. It feels a little bit more taxing because I am invested in making sure that our stories are told with care and accuracy. So happy to be here. I'm Nolika Radway, founder of Queer Media, which who's like producing this podcast, Graptomaniacs. Oh my goodness. I started off first as like a podcast fan and have since produced my own podcast, Raising Rebels, and then worked on multiple different podcasts, um, some narrative, some interviews, like all different types of things. And I'm super, super excited to be working on this podcast, which is a culmination of a lot of imaginings, like a lot of imaginings. When people ask you about the podcast, what do you say? What exactly is Drapedomaniacs and Unshackled History? I love the question. I love because I'm constantly having to explain it to people, introducing them to it or asking them to be a part of it. I call it a Black history podcast, even though I know Black American history is American history. But I just say Black, a Black history, a comedic Black history podcast in order to get to the meat of what it is that, that we're doing. But yeah, it's a comedic Black history podcast and it's a narrative show. You know what I'm saying? So we put it together in a story is how I... I get to it. That's my rough and dirty explainer for what it is. And I also so, like to, I like to say a lot of time, but it's not, I can't explain it to you. It is something I feel like you have to listen to, to have a full sense of what happens there. Cause it's surprising. It's like a, a surprise. The show is very creative, very unique. And a lot of our listeners want to know, where do you draw your influences from for the show? Jake Domaniacs was, is the, dream of Michael Harriet, who is the host of the podcast. It's like his brainchild. And a lot of the stories that we choose to tell have come from his writings or things that he has already discussed on Twitter or has explored in different ways. It goes through, it, it evolves a lot from there. It goes on this whole other trajectory after it leaves. But I would say a lot of it like is birthed first, like 
something that Michael has talked about, something as Michael has right. written about, something that Michael is like interested in exploring. And then we move from there. Yeah. And he's also known for these epic Twitter threads on history, right? Something that puts uh historical per- perspective on some shit that's happening in the present right now, whatever. Those are, I think, the root of a lot of his tweets, which have turned into essays, which is now he's built his book on that kind of thing. And so... When I think of like, how do we pick like what the stories are going to be? There's so much to pull from, but obviously can't be all of that. Most of his stories are untold aspects of Black history. But what are the stories that are censoring more marginalized folks? How what are the stories that are like when I think about the episode we just did with the Fanny Shakur? Like that was to me the ones where we can make sure that we are centering Black women and femmes, queer folks. Those are the stories that I want to make sure that we're pulling from sometimes because history has been so whitewashed and so male dominated. Sometimes it's hard to get to the meat of that. And so that for me, because to Nolika's point, it's okay, these are Michael's ideas. And then it's how do we pick the ones that are like speaking to us the most? And so that's, you know, that's what I think of, even in stories that are not necessarily centering Black women or queer folks in particular, like there are certain stories where there are ways to incorporate like all Black people, all Black Americans in the narrative of these tales of these one individual. I'm saying so many thoughts, so many thoughts because how important intentions are, like part of the intention in bringing together the team that we brought together was hoping that we would be able to speak to people who are marginalized within the Black community. and. Now that we are more than halfway through the season, I feel really like excited and proud around that did come to fruition in ways that were purposeful. And then also like it just it happened because of who's in the room. I got to listen in on the writer's room and the writer's room stood out to me for several reasons. But one of those reasons um, was that everybody in the writer's room was black And that's very unusual. So talk to us a little bit more about the writer's room and how it came to be this all-Black space to explore and write the podcast. When I first envisioned this podcast, when it was brought to me through Michael and Other Tone to produce, I was like, the idea of there being a collective of people who would get to engage in the conversation around what should it be? What do we think about each other's the writing? What it I, what it just felt like that would be great. However, from a production perspective, a budget perspective, a timing perspective, it was like that can't happen. That's like a dream because I was like, we're gonna sit for three months and just talk about these ideas, and then Michael go back and write. But we're gonna just sit and talk so it has all whatever the case may be. That didn't happen, and then we started, and we've realized for multitude a lot of what I think Denise is speaking to around like different pers- not different black American perspectives different like if Michael is writing this as a cis you know man of a certain age in a certain region there is other voices that not because he might not want to include them but it's not his world view it's not his perspective is going to get missed. And how do we bring those other voices into the conversation? How do we talk about all of those different identities? And so we got to space and we needed to get these, the scripts written. It became like, it 
too much for one person to do. So a lot of what we're doing is Michael has his writing and he has these thoughts and he's writing scripts and he, but there's a, it goes through this process where other people get to have their hand in work with it, add things to it, speak to it. And so I went through the process of trying to find writers like black American comedic writers. A lot of interesting things happen. I won't share any names, but one story is I, there was this, this, you, this YouTuber and, and IG person started, who's, we, I don't know if you introduced, I think you introduced me. We just saw this person is like doing the kind of shit that we're doing. This would be a perfect person. Mm-hmm. We're like, we need younger people in this place. It was like all of the things, all of the mm-hmm. things that are important to us, box checks. And I reached out to them and I was like, we're doing this project. Like I'm all, that's why I'm finding my people. I'm like on IG, who's doing the things like trying. I have sent so many DMs. I have slid into so many people's DMs over the process of uh, producing this podcast. But anyway, I reached out to them and we like exchanged information. I gave them the whole spiel of this, is what we're doing. You'd be great. I think you're amazing. It doesn't matter if you don't have any experience. And like, I do that sometimes, but I'm like, I, I think you got it. I think you got a thing. <laughs> no, I think you've got a thing. Anyway, they sent me back a message and I don't know this person's age exactly, but they got to be in their like 20s, early 20s. And they were like, yeah, I don't think I'm the right person for this project. First they said, first they were down to meet. They yeah, was, first they were down to meet. Yep, they were down to meet. Let's talk. And then they sent me an email and they were like, yeah, I thought about it some more and I don't think this is the right project for me. Thank you for thinking about me. And I was devastated. I was like, what have I done? This is literally who I want to be involved in this project. And my partner was like, you should ask them. And I was like, can I do that? And this is now I just shit like that all the time. But at the time I was like, really, do I ask them? So I sent them an email back and I was like, can you give me some feedback? Because when I thought like, when I think about who we would like to be part of this project, you are the, the, the audience that I'm trying to reach. And they sent me back. I do not believe in homosexuality. Our company is called Queer Media for just that purpose. I want people to know that what I am trying to do is queer shit. <laughs> and I was like shocked. I was shocked. And I think that there's a way, this is what the way my brain works, like all these thoughts are happening at the same time and thinking, but there's a way that I was like, oh, I thought that this, like being black American of a certain age and putting out this work meant this, meant that you were on some queer, like meant that you fit into this demographic, meant that you had this politic, meant that you had this perspective. And I was, and I have learned since because different things have happened, not that extreme, but other things that happen around like different people see things differently. I know a lot of people who really enjoy this person's content and yeah, have no idea, but it also highlights what we're trying to do. If we say the gaze of this show is Black people, making sure that it's representative and includes the Black queer people within our community, the Black disabled people within our community, making sure that in the best ways that we can, we are considering all the different aspects and all the Black folks that make up our community as Black American people. You know what I'm saying? And so being considerate of that and thinking of that with care and trying to have and represent that within the writer's room was a goal. And I think you can hear it. You can hear it in the work. I think for me, a lot of times is not so much telling everybody, look, everybody, we're doing Black queer stuff and we're this. Sometimes people don't know that like how much work was put in not to cause harm. You know what I'm saying? If you do the work and it just feels good when somebody listens to it and it feels easy when somebody listens to it, then it's, oh, wow. Like, I, I we don't have to point out how wrong it is for people to do this and do that and do this, do that. If we just 
do the right thing. Because to your point, Nolika, it's not everybody's perspective. Everybody isn't on that. I think the other thing that we try to hold is that the Black creatives that are working on this project, there's a level of vulnerability that is part of sharing your work in that way and wanting there Mm -hmm. to be just like a space where it's going to feel appreciated. (laughs) It's going, you can, and and, and so you can take feedback, right? You can't get better. It can't improve. It can't be like what you are hearing is some, I would say both GDC and I are like, podcast snobs in different ways. Like we have different ways, like different shit. And I think this is like a high quality, like on multiple levels, it's excellent. Even like I, yes, I'm I'm in it, but it is, there's, there is an excellence around it. And that requires a refinement that requires like, that's not like a first out the box, like you just going to do it and it's going to be ready to go. Getting feedback is the hardest thing because every time you get feedback, it's always, you have to filter it because you recognize that's also coming with people's misogyny, people's racism, people able all their shit. When you make an episode of the show, who is the audience that you are directing that show to? That question to me is always about the gaze, G-A-Z-E, right? Our conversations about this initially were that this show is for Black people. And so for me, when it was said that this was for Black people, for me, it was getting to the nitty gritty of, okay, what does that actually mean to create a Black history podcast that is for and centering Black people, then it becomes when I think about what I am sensitive to, when I think about what I am concerned about, like the person I am most concerned about is a Black person and how they feel about the work that I'm doing and how it's landing on them emotionally and what do all those things mean? And then with any show, whether it be Black people or whatever, I'm thinking of the gays that I've chosen. I'm most concerned with that. And then any people who are further marginalized. So if me doing a show in honor of a certain gaze is going to punch down or trample on a community that is more marginalized than the community that I have decided to center, that's something that I'm paying attention to. But if I'm doing a show for Black people and there's a white person has a problem with something that I said or whatever, that's fine for me to hear it. But the gaze that I am most concerned with is that of Black people. And everyone outside of that is welcome to listen and welcome to join. There's a way that we're having the dialogue and conversations around how things are hitting, who they're impacting, how people are like receiving it. And I just want to say it's like heavy work because we are trying to bring a conscious levity to some really traumatic, hard shit. (laughs) I do think like how we produce this podcast and the conversation that we have around this podcast and what we actually choose to do and what we choose, how we choose to move is based on thinking about that Black American gaze and perspective and specificity. And I think, yes, Michael is a Black American person for generations and generations differently than I am. Janice is true for other people who write on the show and work on the show. And I think We have the conversation and we make sure that we defer to what that looks like. Some people describe Drapetomaniacs as a conceptual show. What does it mean to be a conceptual show? I guess it is a conceptual show. I think of it as 
It's it is a comedic black history podcast. And like, how do we tell that history? We don't have the benefit of a visual aid with this. And so how do you tell that story through audio? And how do you tell what is a lot of uh, oftentimes painful history? How do you tell those histories in ways that are not so heavy when what you're trying to do is entertain people and educate people at the same time? on for us as black americans what is often a very a lot of our stories are very traumatic and that doesn't mean that it shouldn't they shouldn't be told but it means like how do we tell those stories to black people who if you are of a certain age have been fed mostly movies about our captivity you know what i'm saying how do we tell those stories and so i think that's where the like the concept kind of podcast comes from it's okay we're gonna put this in this is in the future and this is these are all the things that happen and these people are in Black Heaven or the one of my favorite episodes was Storytime in a library with Bob the Drag Queen and all the joy that came from that and holding how we tell our children, how we talk to our children about these painful stories while also holding the feelings of our Black American listeners who are listening to what is potentially a very traumatic kind of story. That too is something that I think about when I think of it being a concept show it's also like a flexibility to do like that feeling of oh we could do whatever we want of course there's parameters and for me i love little like rules or like yeah you can do this but here's the rule like a math equation like you can do all these different things it's really interesting that you and i are making something together every time like, it's so i'm fascinated by it i am literally i i did it like i did it and i am fascinated by it yes it is interesting to me too because honestly i'm not the kind of person only through working with nolika is why i know that i like rules because to most other people i am not a person who is obsessed with rules like this was that a read <laughs> that sounded like a read it's not meant to be a read it's not meant to be a read i have really <laughs> high self-esteem that's why i can roll with this one i feel really yes. good about myself it's not meant to be a read but nolika's engagement with freedom right with freedom and like creativity and all that stuff it and, and coloring outside of the lines is just something I haven't encountered in a very long time in, in that particular way. So our listeners have been asking, why are there no visuals or videos? Why isn't there a video? And what is the magic? I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to pull down the curtain too much. Not too much, but just give us a little bit. Give us a little bit. It's the magic of podcasting. And then also, if we had a movie budget, we would make a movie. I know that's right. I know that's So we did not make a movie. But if you give us if you give us movie money, I'm sure we, we can make a movie. Honestly, it's meant to be an audio medium. And so even the choices that we make are not the same that we would make if this were a visual medium. Like there's certain things that we do because it's audio centric. The choices that we make are with a listener's ear in mind. So that's why there's no video because this is not a movie. I mean, it could be, and that would be cool. We're down for that, but that's not what this was. One of the things that I find, I, you know, I'm like impressed with ourselves is the idea, like all of those voices that you're hearing. I think they think that we're all in a room creating this together. Most of, all the time, actually, they're all recording those things independent of each other. I will add to, I've actually tried to produce, had instances of trying to produce 
podcast that the podcaster really wanted it to be like, we're really focused on the visual part of it. And I find that really hard to do. It does not, to me, it does not translate. Like it is a different thing. And the audio becomes almost secondary to what is supposed to be visual. So you're like making faces and you're animated, but no one can see that in the podcast. So if you're not animating your voice, it doesn't translate. And to be able to make a podcast or audio content for audio content's sake, I love it. Like, I I think that is one of those rules. That's part of what is helping to create this conceptual show. I think of it very much of radio shows of the right. 40s. So that's how I, when I'm thinking about Lucy or whatever the pace, those people are, those like people who just like, I'm, we're going to bring in the sound. And there's a, this idea, there's a man in the, or a woman or a person in the room that is, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Or like making the sound, like whatever it is. Right. Like, I wanted to create that. These places aren't real places either. Like Bob the Drag Queen, Essel, because they were amazing. Not that she was amazing. But there's a way that we really wanted people to drop in to that space. We wanted everyone to be going to the Drag Queen story time. And that requires a lot of real like imagination, a lot of thought, a lot of like reflection, a lot of fine tuning and so all of that to me is that makes it that makes it like conceptual <laughs> that makes it like oh you guys are like doing things so we're thinking about all the senses Janicia has these canine ears she hears things that aren't really there they're there but no one else can really no one else <laughs> yeah. can hear them different people on the project all like they bring different perspectives to the storytelling that is all really interesting I mean I'm so happy that the audience feels like, I want to see it because you're seeing it. We're doing the work of helping you see it through the sound and the voices. But yeah, it is no small task. As a person with canine ears, like actually knowing there are things that I hear that other people don't hear. So I can hear when something, okay, this needs to sound like it's in a very large room. This needs to sound like it's in an empty room but you can hear the wind or this needs to sound like it's in a room full of people, but they're quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like all of those different little nuances of sound design that help to really bring this kind of audio movie or audio, these audio concepts to life. So that has been, I hate learning. So it's been both painful and a wonderful thing to navigate. But I have also, I have enjoyed like building and growing my sound design skill. And I'm slaying. And so <laughs> I am fucking killing it. I want a sound design award. I deserve. Oh, can I just know, say quickly. something? Can I say something before I move to that? So I listened to last episode, the Phineas Shakur episode. First, it wasn't supposed to be Janicia and it wasn't supposed to be me either. So when I listened back to it and it's a me and Janicia at the drive, I cannot. I was just like going to, I just did it because I was like, whoever we wanted, we couldn't get. And I was like, I'm going to just do mm-hmm. this and drop it in here. So, so it's like things like that. That's just, it's like the magic that is also the hard work. That is also the magic. I was like, I can't, I'm so happy that happened. I'm so, and it, it wasn't the intention. It's that's the thing mm-hmm. we do. You know what I'm saying? That's the work we do. My favorite line, this is an aside, but my favorite line, it was the one with, oh no, we're all out of that. What about performative? Oh, what about a performative apology? Yeah, Silas wrote that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were perfect in that role. I laughed. I cackled out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt like I didn't have time for the the voice actor that initially did it to re-record. So I was like, let me just do this thing real quick. It was spot 
on. Shout out to all the writers. Shout out to all the writers. The delivery and the writing on this is it's amazing. Because we didn't even record at the same time, but the way Janice to be annoyed with me was completely (laughs) present. And the way I just be like, oh, you know, oh, let's try. That's funny. I didn't think about it like that. I'm a fan of the podcast. I work and I hear the podcast in various stages and I listen to the finished podcast when it comes out every single time. I'm like, okay, this is my favorite episode. And then the next episode comes out and I was like, wait, I love this. This is my favorite episode. Okay. Wait, oh, this Athena is so good. This is my favorite episode. Every episode turns into my favorite episode. It just keeps getting better and better for me. It is so powerful to hear these stories of African-American people, not only surviving and thriving. Of course, there's, there's a lot of terrorism that happens to mm-hmm. us, but there are stories of survival and stories of people standing strong. And so that really is powerful to me. So what is the most powerful aspect of this podcast for you. It's like a dream come true. I don't know a better way of saying it. I literally, it will make me misty right now. This is intentional. And to see it come to fruition, I like remembering our first conversation. Like there's these episodes, Charlie Case, the Charlie Case episode stands out in my mind very strongly. I've seen it happen multiple times, but like where it is, where it starts, to what we can, what we get it to, the process is the most, I think we see it in what actually happens and comes out, but the process, it comes with stuff that we need to work on, but it just like the creative process, I think is what is most magical to me, or I feel like amazed by. I do love the learning and the growing that comes from kind of working in an intentional Black space. And I think that it brings up its own challenges. And I have to say, I am tired of learning and growing. I'm not going to lie. I'm tired of it, but I know that it's, (laughs) I know that it's good and it's important. And so I do, I think a lot of us as black folks in the colonized world, many of us, those of us who live in the United States are often the minority. And so oftentimes our workplaces are reflective of the fact that we are a minority. And so we're dealing with other challenges. We're dealing with a certain kind of anti-Blackness. We're dealing with a certain kind of white supremacy. And so those are the, it's the usual. And those, they switch depending on the kind of intersection of like your role and where you're working and what you're working on and the new dynamics. Are you working with in a really diverse space, but maybe you're only one of two or three Black folks or whatever, but everyone is some kind of diverse person. Or are you the only Black person there? What are the dynamics? And to be working in an intentional Black space and navigating, okay, what are those dynamics? You know what I'm saying? What does that bring to the table? Because it brings stuff to the table. And so it has been a unique challenge to navigate. Oh, this is a thing? I didn't, I would have never known this is a thing because I've never worked in an intentional all-Black space in this way before. Jillian, what have you learned from this process? Now, see here. <laughs> see here, girl. Because I wasn't thinking about this. This has been an amazing experience for me. I have learned so many things, not just from the content of the podcast, but how this podcast in particular is made and how the steps that it has to go through 
it is it has been really amazing. I remember when I first began and I had never worked with audio and I went into the program to work with the audio and I was like, oh my God, it's like magic. And it just, it, I just had this feeling and of joy and feeling like I was being creative. And it, I learned about myself that I had really spent a lot of time not leaning into my creativity. And this felt like oh, a nice cold drink of water on a hot day. I remember I went to see Beyonce and when I left the Beyonce show, I said, wait a minute. I'm going to do something like that. And I'm not going to get on stage and sing. I'm not going to get on stage and dance because I can't do either. But the production around it, the stage, everybody working to do this big, huge thing was really appealing to me. And that's what I wanted to do. And after I left that concert, I was like, all of a sudden, given this opportunity to to grow into my creativity and learn new things. Yeah, yeah. you're creative. You're I, creative. I am. Yeah. I am. And after seeing Miss Beyonce, I said, I just want to, I want to do a show like that. I want to do that because that's, you know, in my skill set. I love doing big things with people. And Nolika, you know this about me from back in my teaching days. Like I do big things and I hadn't been doing big things. And so this was like a balm to my soul, like, my soul was ashy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that soul was no, ashy. It was, it was. Yeah. And it needed some lotion. And this is like the lotion. <laughs> it's not good to go a long time without being creative and exploring your creative side. That's for sure. No, Lika, what about you? I have learned how to boss, like how to be accountable to the people that you are like, working with, how to have integrity about a vision, how to do hard things. To I've learned that I am capable. I don't know that I understood that until this project to this project of, no, it's you. You are capable of doing this. You have the, yeah. I, I feel such pride in this. And that comes from recognizing that it is me. Like it is a collective, but it is me. And that is something... That I'm even right it's in my body, I'm like feeling comfortable, like trying to feel comfortable in, and I'm learning how to do that. And I just feel like it's really important. It's really important because to do this type of work, you got to you got to know you got you. Like you got to no matter like people not you because you're human and things are gonna happen. But you have to know that at the end of the day. You got yourself. You got you. I'm my own. I love me. I'm a whole me. We're going to do this. And it then get, it gives me the strength and the power to like make it happen, to, to be the things I need to be. And I think that's something that I have learned through this process. It's been reaffirmed. Welcome to Civil Rights, the restaurant. What can I get you? Yeah. Um, let me get a, um, I'll get, no, wait. To them, Black people's desire to be free is a giant inconvenience, and they treat it as such. What can I get you, ma'am? Shit, shit, shit. Y'all don't close till 10 p.m., right? That's what the signs say, don't it? Like we're pulling up to a Bojangles 30 minutes before closing time. I got it. I'd like my freedom, throw in some reparations, and um, heartfelt apology on the side. Miss, I'm sorry, but we're out of freedom. Okay, cool. Just reparations and the apology, please. 
sorry, out of reparations, no liberty, no restitution, and the 40 acres and a mule shake machine is broken. Okay, then what can I order? Um, we got a 58 years of affirmative action happy meal, half a president delight, and a special celebrity activist who secretly vote Republican combo meal. We do have the heartfelt apology on the side you wanted. Wait, no, wait, sorry, sorry. We're out of the heartfelt ones. Um, is a performative one okay? Man, why are y'all always out of stuff when I come here? Miss, I don't know what to tell you. That's all we have. If you wanted freedom, you should have came earlier. A gaggle of whites was here and they cleaned us all the way out. Technically, they stole it, but corporate says they're allowed to. Also, we just closed. Have a good night. Wait, wait, wait. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Drapetomaniacs. We'll be back next week. Please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.